and go together to the book of Psalms. And we, of course, are preaching uh, through the great chapters of the Bible on Sunday morning. And I don't think it's possible to do a series on the great chapters of the Bible and not include the 23rd Psalm. And so we'll be in the 23rd Psalm together today. Psalm 23, a very well-known passage of Scripture, probably to most. In fact, I would say that many of you perhaps could recite this psalm or significant portions of it without even looking at it or beholding it with your own eyes. It's that familiar to folks. I'm thinking of passages in our Bible that just sort of roll right off our tongues. I'm thinking of John 3.16, and I think Psalm 23 is, uh, is in line with those things. And so let's look at it together today. The 23rd Psalm, just six verses in this particular uh, psalm here this morning. And so we'll read them all, and then we'll uh, preach through most of them today as well. Would you look with me? The Bible says in verse number one, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Would you do me a favor? Would you read the sixth verse with me if you have it there in front of you? Can we read that together? Psalm 23, 6, everyone together. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? How many of you uh, have perhaps maybe grew up in a home in which Portions of that psalm might have, might have hung on a wall somewhere, or maybe was in a prominent place in your house, or maybe still is to this day. Uh, you are familiar with this psalm. It's a beautiful one, isn't it? Many of you have uh, recollections of that sort of thing. And we're certainly thankful for the, the shepherd psalm that it's oftentimes referred to. You know, it's no secret that the Bible was written largely from an agricultural perspective or mindset. Uh, I'm thinking of men like Abel. And Abraham and Moses and David, all of them were shepherds. Uh, The apostle Peter and, of course, the apostles James and John were all fishermen. They, uh, They worked there with the earth and with the things and the natural resources that came out of the earth. And because of this, the Bible often uses analogies that would have made deep connections with the people who lived their lives in this type of an environment surrounded by those who worked the land or worked the water that was near them. I'm thinking of well-known statements that verify this particular concept. Think with me of statements in the Bible. We looked at one last week. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Of course, in this particular psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Brother John read for us at the beginning of the service from John chapter number 10, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. How about when Jesus came to the fishermen there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he said to them, he invited them, he says, come with me. He says, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. And of course, how about the statement that's written in our scriptures that says, whatsoever a man soweth, that 
shall he also reap. And so if you have any knowledge or understanding of the Bible whatsoever, you know that there are deep connections to farmers and to shepherds and to fishermen, to working with the land that God has given us and taking these resources and developing them and using them to increase our lives here on this earth and our livelihood. I would say that perhaps the best known of all of these and the most beloved is found right here in our text, what has commonly come to be known as the shepherd's psalm. And, and fittingly, fittingly, this psalm equating the Lord as a, as a shepherd over sheep was written by David, a seemingly great shepherd in his own right. David, as we know him, was the youngest of eight sons born to a man by the name of Jesse of Bethlehem. David's primary responsibility prior to being anointed to be the king, the next king of the nation of Israel, was as a shepherd over his father's sheep. And, and you, might, you might hear that and you might think, well, that would be a fairly easy job, low stress, not really a problem. But I'm here to sort of set the record straight and maybe to adjust your perspective just a little bit. Being a shepherd was not an easy job. In fact, it was challenging on multiple levels. I, sh I share with you that uh, sheep are commonly known as dumb animals. Now, isn't that encouraging? Uh, throughout the Bible, I'm referred to as a sheep, and so are you. And we wonder, why would God choose that? Oh, I know, because they're, they're so cute and innocent when they're little lambs, and they're so white and pure. That must be it. No, it's really because we're really not all that bright. That's really why maybe God chose to compare us to sheep. You know, uh, I'm thinking as a young man, God, why didn't you, why didn't you call me a German shepherd? You know, a, a, a bold and courageous dog, or why can't I be a lion? No, no, I, I, have, to be a, I have to be a sheep. There have been thousands of years of human history in which sheep have been led by shepherds. And the general consensus is that sheep are not especially intelligent animals. And so those who are shepherds over sheep are, are, are dealing with, a, with an animal that is just not really all that bright and certainly needs, in many respects, to be led every step of the way. I'm thinking myself that being a shepherd was not an easy job because it was a very lonely life. Sheep need green grass and they need lots of water. Of course, in order to find that, you have to get away from the, uh, from the urban centers. You've got to get away from people and where people live and you've got to get them out into a more wilderness or more, more, uh, rural type of an environment where there aren't as many people around. And because, well, because I've got to make sure that my sheep have what they need, I can't be too close to that shepherd and his sheep because, you know, they're sort of, you know, protective over their property and over their land. And so a shepherd is, is constantly looking for places where no no one is and where the grass is green and where the water is pure and where it flows freely. Therefore, more often than not, he did his job alone without much human help or much human interaction. Then I think to myself that the life of a shepherd and the job of a shepherd was not an easy one because sheep are especially, especially vulnerable to predators Sheep, as far as we know, have no known defense mechanism when it comes to predators. 
Therefore the wolf, the lion, and the bear all long to come upon sheep that are easy prey, that are unprotected or outside of the realm of a shepherd. It was the certainly the job of the shepherd to keep his flock safe from these dangerous threats. And so when we think about this idea of the sheep and the, and the shepherd, we understand just how important it is for the shepherd to be involved in the lives of his sheep and to keep them safe and to lead them to green pastures and to lead them to streams of fresh water. And so for these reasons and more, the life of a shepherd was not an especially appealing life, but it was a necessary one as there was some profit and value to be found in tending to sheep. And David, as he writes this psalm, seems to recall his time with sheep and perhaps maybe maybe he is still the shepherd at this point in time maybe maybe he writes this in his youth or uh, we understand that even after he was anointed king there seems to be an element in which he's still caring for sheep as we find there in first samuel chapter number 17 that's after he's been anointed to be the king and yet his father says i want you to go check on your brothers and so the bible says that he leaves his sheep in the care of a handler and he went and did as he was asked to do and so maybe maybe David writes this as he is sitting out in a field one day and he's watching over his sheep and he begins to take the lessons that he had learned and he looks at the sheep and he and he sees himself in those animals and and he sees God in the role that he is playing in the lives of these animals and he under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God begins to write this beloved psalm that is in front of us and in it he speaks of God and speaks of God's desired role in the lives of people as their shepherd. And he begins this psalm by proclaiming, listen, by proclaiming the most important truth in all of life. And that is this, that is this, the Lord is my shepherd. And I want to begin there this morning. And I want to ask this question. I want to make a statement and ask you a question. Here it is. The Lord is my shepherd. Now here's the question. Is he yours? The Lord is my shepherd. Is he yours? I can only answer that question for myself. I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that yes, the Lord is my shepherd, but I cannot answer that for you. Only you can answer that question. In the Old Testament, the Lord's sheep were primarily the Israelites. The Bible says in Genesis 49 and verse number 24, but his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. The Bible says in Psalm 80 and verse number one, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. And so we find references in the Old Testament to God, the, the Father, Jehovah God, primarily being the shepherd of the Israelite nation. That was his flock during those days. That was the sheep of his pasture were those who were of Hebrew origin and Hebrew descent. And yet Christ's coming to this earth and his death, listen, for the sins of all men enables anyone who will come to him in simple faith to become one of the sheep of his pasture. Christ's words in John chapter number 10 so beautifully describe the relationship that shepherds have with their sheep. 
So I'd like for you to hold your place here in Psalm 23, and I'd like you to join me in John 10. We were there not too long ago as a service was beginning, and so let's go back there to John chapter number 10 and consider some things uh, to be found here from this particular text with the Lord as our shepherd. In this chapter, Christ reaffirms what David has written here when he calls himself in John 10 and verse number 11, the good shepherd And in John chapter 10 and verse number 27, I'd like to spend the next few moments looking at this particular verse. And so I hope that you're there. And I'd like for you to look at it with me. Where Jesus says in John 10 and verse number 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish let me share with you some, 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 some general ideas. If the Lord is your shepherd, then these things will be true in your life. They're found very clearly here in these two verses. John 10, verses 27 and 28. If the Lord indeed is your shepherd, then number one, understand this, that as his sheep, you will hear his voice. That's what he says in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. The shepherd has a voice, and the sheep of his pasture tend to know what that voice sounds like. Perhaps they, though they're, though they're not especially intelligent animals, they are attuned to the voice of the shepherd. They can hear an urgency in his voice. Perhaps if they run into a problem or an issue, they, they can hear sort of a gentle or a tenderness element to the voice of the shepherd. To know that everything's going to be okay. Much like a child begins from an early age to recognize and be aware of the voice of his mother or his father. They connect with that. Their ears are attuned to that. The Bible says about the sheep that they hear his voice. One of the signs that someone is truly a believer is that they hear God's voice. God does not speak to us audibly as men speak to one another, but he does speak, doesn't he? And if you're one of his sheep, then you, you're familiar with his voice. You've heard him speak to you. He has communicated with you. You know when he's trying to get your attention and what he's trying to say. Sometimes he speaks to us urgently. Sometimes he speaks to us in a comforting uh, or a tender manner. Uh, sometimes he is teaching and sometimes he is admonishing and he is correcting. But listen, listen, the, the sheep hear the voice of their shepherd. They know his voice, and they know that he's communicating with them, and they know what he is trying to say. So how do you know that he's one of your, that you're one of his sheep, that he is your shepherd? Well, first of all, because you hear his voice. But notice, secondly, he says, not only do my sheep hear my voice, but he says, and I know them. If you're one of the sheep of his pasture, you're part of his fold, he is your shepherd. Understand this, he knows you. He knows you. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 in verse number 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. You know, there's something about our own. We, we pick them out in a crowd, don't we? You think about your children, you think about your spouse, maybe your parents. And you walk into a place that is crowded, that is full of people. And maybe, maybe it's just hearing the sound of their voice and you know right away, I know that voice. I know who that is. That's, that's mine. 
That's my wife. Those are my children. Uh, that, that's, that, that's my parents. That, that's my grandparents. Well, those, those are mine. There's relationship there. The Bible says about the sheep of Christ's pasture that he knoweth them that are his. Christ gives some insight into the mind and heart of a shepherd when he said that if a shepherd had had a hundred sheep, had one go missing, he would leave all ninety and nine of them to go and look for the lost sheep and he would not return until he had found that sheep that was lost. Jesus gave that parable in two separate places. He gave it in Matthew 18. And he gave it again in Luke chapter number 15. In other words, he knows the sheep that are missing. He knows well enough to know that they're missing, out of 100 to know that they're missing, and then also likely to know where they might have wandered off from. Oh, perhaps maybe he knows some of their tendencies. And he knows that, boy, they, you know, they, they're really attracted to this or to that. And earlier today, we were near something like that. I bet, I bet that that little lamb, I bet they wandered off when we got in that, in that vicinity or in that area. And that maybe is where he would begin his journey. He would start his search is because he knows the sheep of his pasture. Maybe, maybe he has them all named. And as he's, to us, don't all sheep sort of look the same? You know, I mean, if you're not a shepherd, it's, you know, one sheep is the same as another, is the same as another. I'm thinking to myself of, of, of parents who have twins. Both of my grandfathers were twins on both sides. My mom's dad was a twin and my dad's dad was a twin. I thought I was doomed. I thought for sure I was going to have twins. And the Lord saw fit to not give those to me. He knew that I probably couldn't handle it as a, as a man and as a dad. And, and, uh, but, but I'm thinking to myself, sometimes when I see twins, I think to myself, I don't know how in the world you ever tell them apart. But you know that mama has no problem whatsoever. Oh, you know, they know right away. Uh, they, may, maybe, maybe the one face is a little bit fuller. Maybe there's a little bit of a birthmark. Or maybe one's a little bit taller than the other. Or maybe, you know, it's personality-based or whatever the case might be. And you and I, we'd look at them and say, oh, they're all the same. We'd look at sheep and say, they're all the same. But not the shepherd. No, the shepherd knows that one of his sheep is missing. And likely, he looks and he determines which one it is. And he thinks about their name. And he thinks about their tendencies. And he leaves us and he leaves all 99 in a safe place. And he goes out to search for the one little lamb, the one sheep that is lost. You say, you know the Lord. Here's the question. But does the Lord know you? There will be some, there will be some, the Bible's very clear about this, some who will profess that they know the Lord, but he will say about them, I never knew you. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus is concluding his sermon on the mountain. Here's how he finishes it. He says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Some of the saddest words in all the Bible are found here in the 23rd verse, the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew, that God, that God would look upon a person, an individual, a human being, an eternal soul, and will proclaim of that person, I never knew you. You were never part of my fold. You were never in my pasture. 
I never knew you. You never humbled yourself and you never came under my shepherding ability. You never allowed me to shepherd your heart and to shepherd your life. Oh, you, you talked a good game, but you never gave evidence. There was no evidence whatsoever that I was ever a significant part of who you were. I never knew you. The final words are these, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Some of the last words some people here for all of eternity are those. I never knew you. Depart from me. Don't you suppose that that sound, that that, that voice, that, that those words will ring out in their heart and in their life for all of eternity when they're in that place of bitter darkness and wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth and they'll hear it a thousand a million, a hundred million, a billion times over and over and over again. I never knew you. Now you can say you know him, but the real question is this, does he know you? The Lord is my shepherd, is he yours? Notice not only do his sheep hear his voice and he knows them, but thirdly, we discover here in the 27th verse that his sheep follow him. Well, that's how you know. If the sheep is really part of the fold, if they're really, uh, if that, that shepherd really is theirs, that when he leads them, when he begins to walk, that they follow him wherever he might be leading them to go. His sheep follow him. If the Lord is your shepherd, don't you suppose that there will be evidence of that? And the evidence is revealed in the way that you follow his leading in your life. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6 and verse number 46. He said this, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Let's leave that verse up there for just a minute. And I want you to look at it. Perhaps it's in your Bible in front of you. Luke 6, 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and yet don't do the things that I say? What's the purpose of that? Does that make any sense at all? To, to, to say that the Lord is my shepherd, and yet consistently day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, uh, the totality of your life is that very rarely, if ever, you do anything that he says. That there's a general disin disinterest in what he says. And in the preaching and proclaiming of what the Bible reveals to be true, no, no, listen, there is always a connection between relationship and obedience. There's a connection to be made there. In other words, if, if there's a relationship, then that relationship's evidence will be that there is obedience or there is a general desire to please the person with which we have a relationship. It could be, it could be your spouse. And, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know that in a spouse relationship, you know, one is, is to ever be barking orders and saying, now do this and do that. And, but, but, but you understand that in a, in a husband and wife relationship, there are, there are things that are, uh, that are pleasing. And then there are things that are a frustration to that person. And it's not very long. It's not very long at all. Is it that we have united together in marriage where we begin to discover those things? And, you know, it, 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 may be, it may be, you know, socks being left on the bedroom floor. And you might think, what's the big deal? It's not that big of a deal. But your spouse might think, that's a huge deal. You know, or a bed that's left unmade. Or, you know, whatever. I mean, it could be any number of things. 
And those little, those little things are known by the person who is, who is in relationship with that person. And if that person truly loves that other individual, uh, they may not always do what that individual would want or would prefer, but there is a, there is a heart desire to, to try to live in such a way as to be pleasing to that, to that individual, right? And Jesus asked the question, he says, why do, you, why do you say that I'm your Lord if you don't do what I ask you to do? How about, how about in the parent-child relationship? In that instance, there is, there is an element in which the parent is giving commands and, and, and is or ordering the child to do certain things at certain points in time. And of course, there's love there. And I think we all know that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. But if that, if that child is really, is really uh, loves their, their parents and, and is in right relationship with them, don't you suppose that there will be a, a general desire to be obedient and to be in a, in a right way with them? So understand there is always a connection between relationship and obedience. If the Lord really is your shepherd, don't you suppose there'll be evidence in how you follow him and how you obey him? That there'll be a desire for these things? I mean, that's just what shepherds do for their sheep and it's why sheep so desperately need a shepherd. What good is it? What good is it? Or what sense does it make to say that the Lord is your shepherd and yet you will not follow him? Now think about that for a moment. Does that make any sense at all? For me to say, oh, the Lord is my shepherd, and yet consistently in my life I never follow him? I mean, at the very, at the very least, that makes no sense. May God help, may God help those of us who are sheep to give evidence of that in the way that we follow him. But notice, notice fourthly, we discover here in verse number 28 of Matthew, or excuse me, of John 10, what is the advantage of being one of the sheep of his pasture and of his fold. Well, here it is. He gives his sheep eternal life. Verse number 28, the Bible says, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You know, the great anxiety of life, the great anxiety of life is what happens to me when I die. I mean, that's, that's the great anxiety of life. That, that's, that, that's what's troubling all of mankind can I say that those who have the Lord as their shepherd, they never die. That's what the Bible teaches. They never die. And you say, how, do you, how, do you, how can you say that? Don't you, don't you conduct funerals of those who died with the Lord as their shepherd? Is that not death? How can you possibly say such a thing? That those who have the Lord as their shepherd, they never die. I say that because those who have the Lord as their shepherd, he gives them eternal life and he says about them, they shall never perish. You're in John 10. Would you just go one more chapter to John 11? Jesus, of course, has learned of the sickness of a dear friend of his. His name is Lazarus. And Jesus intentionally stayed behind a few additional days. He, 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 uh, he knew what he was doing, and, and he waited. And by the time they actually arrived where the friend Lazarus lived in this town called Bethany, not far from the city of Jerusalem, by the time they arrived, the Bible tells us that Lazarus had already been dead, and he had been buried for four days. And when, and when, when Lazarus' siblings, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, when they heard that Jesus was coming, they rushed out to see him, and they were very upset and very frustrated that he did not come sooner because they knew that they had given him word in plenty of time for Jesus to get there. And the words that were said were, were these, Lord, if you would have come, he would not have died. But those were the words that were used. And yet look what Jesus says in verse 25. 
Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe that? I wonder, I wonder how many of our, of our people who, who claim to truly be saved, who claim to be truly born again, read that and they say, well, maybe that's just mistranslated. Because we know everyone dies. Jesus said, not if, not if, you, not if you believe in me. Here's, here's what he's saying. He, he's saying this. He, he's saying, listen, our last breath here gives way to our first breath there. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, I, when I die physically, I do not cease to exist and I do not die in a spiritual sense. No, 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 I continue living. I just continue living in a much better place. In a much, in a, in a much better place that is not stained with the issues down here. What a glorious thought that, that those who are the sh- sheep of, uh, of Christ, that He is their shepherd, that eternal life is theirs, that they, they hear His voice, uh, He knows them, they follow Him, and they, uh, and that He gives them eternal life. They'll never die. They'll never perish. What a glorious thought. So here's the question. Is the Lord your shepherd? I pray he is. If he isn't, can I say this? He wants to be. He longs to be your shepherd. He would love to have you as one of the sheep of his pasture that he could, that he could guide and that he could lead tenderly, that he could protect and keep safe, that he could give eternal life to. However, it's your decision. It's your decision to allow him to be your shepherd. Will you allow him to hold that position in your life. David begins the 23rd Psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I think that's a good place for us to start as well. The Lord is my shepherd, personally. I know that about my life. And I believe that there is some evidence of that in my life. But here's the question, here's the question. Is he yours? Is he yours? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that for yourself. But I want you to answer it. And if the answer is no, in just a few moments, we're going to extend an invitation. And here's what we'd like to invite you to do. We'd like to invite you to choose the Lord as your shepherd of your life. To choose to become one of the sheep of his pasture. And if you'll do that, here's what you'll discover about the Lord going back to Psalm 23. You'll discover that he is is not at all an absentee shepherd. But he is a very involved shepherd in the lives of his sheep. I want you to notice with me the time that we have left, how the Lord shepherds his sheep. We discover that in verses one to six, how the Lord shepherds the sheep of his pasture or of his fold. Notice notice we discover in verses one to three how he shepherds his sheep. He First of all, he leads them. He leads them. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Here it is. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Can I say that the Lord shepherds his sheep by leading them? Number one, he leads them to be cared for physically. He leads them to be cared for physically. We discover that in verses one and two. 
Can I say that with the Lord as your shepherd, David writes, you shall not want. That means you shall not lack. You shall not fail. Sheep are incapable of providing for themselves. So they are dependent completely on the shepherd to lead them to greener pastures and to still waters. The sheep's diet consists of the grass of the field and the water from a spring or from a brook that is fresh. And if, listen, if he is your shepherd, he will ensure that you have enough of both. The Bible says in Psalm 34, verses 8 to 10, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. I certainly understand that there's a, there's a difference between needs and desires. When I speak of needs, I'm talking about things that I need to live. I need food to live. I need water to live. I need air to breathe in order to live. These are things that I need in order to live. I do not need, I do not need a Mercedes to live. Now that would be nice. I, I, I don't need a Corvette in order to live. I don't have to live in a home that has, you know, enough bedrooms to, uh, to house all of you. I don't have to have those things. Some of those things may be nice. I don't need a Rolex watch in order to live. So you understand there's a difference between needs and desires. There, there's, a, there's a group of people that have sort of proclaimed that God exists to meet all of your desires. Name it and claim it. You want to be a millionaire? Well, just start believing it and God will make you a millionaire. That's not how it works. That, that's misunderstanding what is clearly taught in the Bible. But here's what the Lord has promised to do. He's promised to take care of us, to meet our needs cares for us physically. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. This morning I came into my office and there was an envelope on my desk and it wrote very, very evidently that, that this was someone's tie that they were giving to the Lord. And, um, and so I, I opened the envelope. It was just a, it was just a, a, a envelope that you would mail, not a giving envelope. I opened it and there was a letter in there and I opened up the letter and, and I began to read it. It was not signed. The person who wrote it very possibly is sitting in here this morning. I don't know, but the letter basically said something to this effect. They said, I, I I'm struggling and I just am believing the Lord that he's going to meet my needs. And I believe that I need to be a giver. And so I am giving to the Lord, even though there are bills that I, I could hold on to this money to use. And so I took that money and I dropped it in the offering box and I, and I prayed for that person because they asked me to. And I want to, I want to invite you to pray for them as well. They, they asked us to, we prayed for them at our men's prayer meeting this morning at 8am. And I want to invite our church family. I don't know who the person is. I'm not, I have no plans to do a handwriting, you know, analysis to try to figure out who this person is that wrote this to me. But I, I here's what I do know. I know God knows who they are. And I do know, I do know that, that Jesus said, if you'll seek me first in my righteousness, if you'll live your life in accordance with this book, I'll meet your needs. I'll take care of you. You, you seek me first in my righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you study that, Matthew 6, you'll find that he's talking about houses, and, and he's talking about clothing, and he's talking about food to eat, you know, making sure that your needs are cared for. He cares he cares for us. He, care, he cares for us physically. But notice he leads them not only to be cared for physically, but the shepherd, he shepherds his sheep, and he leads them to be cared for spiritually. Look in, look, would you look in verse number three? 
He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Can I say that he leads them to be cared for spiritually? Number one, he does this by way of salvation. And we see evidence of that in the first part of the verse where he writes that, David writes that the Lord, the shepherd, is the restorer of my soul. The restorer of my soul. If you were to study that phrase, he restoreth my soul, you would, you would discover that it literally means that he causes my life to return, that he brings me back from the dead. That's what he's saying there. And isn't that, doesn't that fall in, in alignment with what the scriptures teach us? Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number two, in verse number one, that all of us are born dead in our trespasses and sins. And what we need, what we need is the shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd to come along and to restore our souls, to bring life to us that are, that those of us that are dead. He restoreth my soul. He leads them to be cared for spiritually, first of all, by way of salvation. Is he the restorer of your soul? Has he done that for you? Next, he leads them not only in the way of salvation, but he leads them in the way of sanctification. David speaks here in the second part of this verse. He speaks about the paths of righteousness. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Can I say that these paths are not discovered on one's own? God must lead us here. If you find some righteousness in you, if you look at your life today and you discover some righteousness in you, understand this, that it is, it is because the Lord led you there. Because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Psalm 143 and verse number eight, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Verse number 10, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God, thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. So is the shepherd an absentee shepherd in the lives of his sheep? Not at all. No, first of all, we discover that the shepherd leads his sheep. But notice, secondly, not only does he lead them, but he is with them. He is with them. Verse number four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, some have mistakenly believed that with the Lord as their shepherd, they won't have any difficulty to face. In other words, if I can just, if I can just get into his pasture, if I could, if I could rest in his fold, everything will be okay. I'll not have any issues. I'll not have any problems. I'll not have any troubles. The reality is that we all face difficulty. Whether, whether the sheep of his pasture or the sheep that are outside of his pasture. The difference is this, when I face difficulty, when I face difficulty and he is my shepherd, he is with me. And because he is with me during these difficult moments, the sheep of the Lord's pasture enjoy two benefits. And they're found in verse number four. Number one is this, they fear no evil. They fear no evil. You know, evil is a fearful thing to those who are unprotected and those without the good shepherd. Evil looks to devour, to kill, and to destroy, to maim, and to mutilate. But listen, if the Lord is your shepherd, there is no evil to be feared. Now think about that for a moment. Because the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is, there is no force in this world that is greater than the power of Christ that rests in you. And as a result, I can live my life, listen, fearing no evil. You know, there's a lot of fearful things to deal with. But if the Lord is your shepherd, you don't have to worry about it. He's going to take care of it one way or another. He's going to deal with it. He's going to care for you. 
They fear no evil. Why? Because he is with them. But notice, notice here's the second benefit that the sheep of the Lord's pasture enjoy. Not only do they fear no evil, but number two, his rod and his staff comfort them. His rod and his staff comfort them. The rod and the staff are tools for guiding the sheep, but they're also tools for defending the sheep. With, with them, the shepherd keeps the evil and harmful things away from the sheep. And, and listen, because he is with them at all times, when they see him, when they, when they lift up their eyes from, from grazing or from drinking there at the, at the brook or at the stream, and they, and they see him, and he's standing there, and he's not just standing there empty-handed, but in his hand is a rod and a staff. When they see those things, they are comforted. They're comforted. I suppose that all of us have come to the point where we realize we're living in a very sick world. Just, just last night, Cincinnati, Ohio, a gunman opened fire and I believe shot and killed nine people. It's the news that I heard this morning at least. And as of eight o'clock this morning, the gunman was still on the loose. And that's a troubling thing. And as a result, as a result, we are aware of the idea of enhanced security. I remember I remember when I was a little boy, my parents came home from a trip to the Holy Land. They'd been to Israel, and I remember, I remember they had taken pictures of soldiers holding machine guns because that was so foreign to them. And I remember as a little boy, six, seven years old, looking at those pictures and thinking, wow, that's cool. Look at the gun that guy's holding. You know, I just thought that was neat, you know. The reason why they had those types of people stationed in different places is because they needed that. Sadly, in the last... 25, 30 years as a culture, we have come to a point where we need that as well. Police officers in schools because of school shootings and security stationed at major events and in very, very high traffic type areas. And, and oftentimes when you see someone there, it causes you to sort of breathe a sigh of relief. Okay, I feel better because he's there. I'm so thankful we live in the, where we don't live, but we serve here and, and the church looking in the city of Brooklyn and Brooklyn has been such a help to us. I, I believe every single day that the school is in session, a Brooklyn police officer comes through and they walk the halls and they park in the parking lot for a, for a period of time. They're not here all day, but they're here. Their presence is here. And I've heard parents say things like this to me. I am so glad that makes me feel so good. That the police are attentive, that they're aware of our building and they know what it looks like and they know where to go should something horrible happen. But listen, think about the sheep. When they, when they lift their eyes and they look at their shepherd and they see him standing there holding instruments, holding tools that are designed to protect them, the Bible says that because he is with them and because he's holding those things, they feel at ease, they feel comfortable because the shepherd's presence is with them at all times. Is the shepherd of the sheep, is he an absentee shepherd? Not at all. He leads them. He is with them. But notice thirdly and finally, he blesses them. Verse number five, the Bible says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You'll discover his blessings to be twofold. You'll discover, number one, that he blesses in this life. We see that in verse five where he talks about preparing a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, anointing my head with oil, my cup running over. You know, if you've known him any length of time, you know, you know that he is able, he is able to make your cup run over with blessings. What a blessing life can be when the Lord is your shepherd. 
It, it doesn't seem like it would work that way. It, it would seem like by, by, me, by me coming into the fold of his and, and coming under his leadership and now I have to follow him and he's going to tell me where to go. He's going to tell me what I can eat and what I can drink and what I can't eat and what I can't drink and where I can go and where I can't go. It would seem as if that would be, that would be losing my freedom and my independence and losing some semblance of my joy. But the reality is, the reality is that nothing could be further from the truth. That by coming into his fold and being a part of his pasture and, and allowing him to have that role in your life and have that authority over your life that he, he, he truly, listen, here's what he does. He makes your cup to run over. Some of you, perhaps, you've looked at your cup in recent days and you've had asked the question, you know, am I going to be a pessimist or an optimist? <laughs> am I going to look at my cup and say it's half empty or if it's half full? But listen, if the Lord is, a sheep, is, is your shepherd and you're one of his sheep, then here's what you, you look at your cup and you don't have to wonder about that because your cup runneth over with blessings. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You say, well, how can he really do such a thing? You know, the children of Israel asked the question, can the Lord prepare a table in the wilderness? I mean, can, can he? Can the Lord feed more, likely more than a million people for 40 years in a desert? Can he do that? Well, the Bible indicates that he can. The Lord can prepare a table in the wilderness, don't you suppose the Lord can prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies? So the Bible says, the Lord anoints our head with oil. Our cup runs over. The Lord prepared a table in the wilderness. He brought water from a rock. Surely, surely he can take care of you regardless of your circumstances. He blesses them in this life. Verse number six seems to indicate he blesses them in the life to come. Verse number six, because the Bible says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever. Because of the sheep's relationship to the good shepherd, they will dwell in his house, not just for a few years, not just for a lifetime, but they'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We got lots of people on the other side, don't we? We know where they are. We look forward to seeing them again someday. We know who they're with. We know that they're in the house of the Lord. And here's what we know. If the Lord is our shepherd, we know that there's a place reserved there for us as well. And that's a blessed thought, isn't it? Because as we said a moment ago, the great anxiety of life is where am I going when I die? And with the Lord as your shepherd, he answers that question. He settles, he's listening, he settles any doubt that you may have because the Lord is our shepherd.